0: I want to thank everyone for coming. Um, I confess that I, uh, I am going to introduce her by Apfel, and then I'm going to run to two other events that I need to get to tonight. But before I do that, I wanted to take uh, an opportunity to introduce her by Apfel in this third and final leg of, of the series of the opportunities that we've had to learn Torah from him over the course of the summer. Um, the particular she'er that Rabbi Apfel is going to give tonight is one that I actually heard when I was the rabbi at Einstein. Rabbi Apfel gave the she'er there, and I, I personally requested that he give the she'er here in Bnei as well, because it, to me it is really just a, a remarkably um, fascinating discussion from a Torah standpoint, from a halacha standpoint, from a hashkafa and ethics standpoint. It really is a stirring conversation that I think Rabbi Apfel is, is just uniquely equipped, really truly uniquely equipped, to deliver in all of its various facets and, um, and components. When I used to uh, introduce Rabbi Abdel and Einstein, of course, Rabbi Apfel is one of the premier medical halacha educators in the world today. And when I uh, was the rabbi at Einstein, in addition to having his son, Gav, as one of my dear congregants and board members, um, it was also uh, a privilege for us to also host him, in, uh, frequently in different summers, in, uh, in the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And I would often, at the time, introduce him by, uh, by noting that in, uh, in medical education, there are really uh, two components. There are really two components to learning how to properly practice as a physician. I'm just going to ask everybody to come over to this side of the old main, if that's okay. Um, one is the education that you receive in medical school, when you you learn the basics of of human anatomy and all the basics of any particular field of medicine, and then you have your residency, where you put all the things that you've learned and in abstract into action into practice by actually doing it. And that, in many ways, is the real education that you receive, as much as you learn. Uh, from a textbook over the course of your four years in medical school, I think most physicians will tell you that the real learning takes place in the actual clinical hospital setting that occurs when you are a resident. And and in a similar vein, in Torah education, one can distinguish between two components of Torah education. One is the intellectual component of Torah education, going to a she'er, learning a safer, learning about a topic, learning its different sources, its different conceptual components, And the other is learning about a Torah schayim, learning about a living Torah that comes not from any sefer, that comes not from any shir, that comes not from any lecture, but really comes through exposure to people who live the Torah's values and put them into practice in their daily lives. And really, to me, one of the greatest things about being able to learn Torah from Rabbi Apfel is you are simultaneously able to tap into both. You will be able to learn the the depths of any particular topic in medical halacha or in, in broader areas of Torah, and also get to witness somebody who really lives by the Torah's values and implements them on a daily basis. I'm sure many of you have known by Apfel for far longer than I have in various capacities as a Torah educator, as a compassionate physician, somebody who provides expert clinical care and, and Torah wisdom. He really just uh, exemplifies it all. And as a result, he, he really, again, like I said, occupies a very unique niche. It's, it's a really... An incredible zchus to, to learn Torah from him. Whenever I have the opportunity to, to learn Torah from him, I consider it a personal privilege, and I'm very uh, gratified and grateful that he decided to come to B'nai and over the course of the summer and spend some of his valuable time in America here with us. Without further ado, it's a great privilege to hear words of Torah from Rabbi Dr. Apfel.
1: So, no, I really, really appreciate such kind words. Uh, I just have to mention one thing about that shear in Einstein. I, I had not really gotten to know Rabbi Schreier yet before that shear. and he kind of very quietly was sitting in the audience. And I'm in the middle of the shear and suddenly somebody raises their hand, it's him, and asks this incredible question. It just blew me. I wanted to stop the shear and just, like, invite him up to discuss his question. It was uh, something that blew me away, so I'm sure you've all experienced already by now, uh, the special, special uh, talents of the Murad Asra, and it's, uh, it's really a privilege to be here all together. I thank everybody for coming out so late at night, and uh, I'm hoping that I could do better with the deadline this time. Um, this topic is an incredibly, incredibly passionate topic, especially in Arts Yisrael. passionate for Jews everywhere, there's no question about it, but this might come as a surprise to some of you, but in Israel there's tremendous passion. I, I'll, I'll never forget just a, a, a trivial example, but just when I learned about the passion in the day-to-day life in Eretz Israel, I was at a bank. I um, thought I would be heading off the long lines at the bank, so I came, bank opens it at like 8.30 or something like that, or 9, so I, I came half hour early to beat the lines get back to yeshiva and I I get there and there's 50 people waiting ahead of me so I said all right. so everyone's got the same idea that's pretty typical in Eretz Yisrael then suddenly I see that there's these two older gentlemen numbers one and two online that start to yell at each other and they're screaming at each other and I like I'm getting a little nervous like where's this going and then they start spitting at each other. And then they start punching each other. So I'm like, oh my God, you know, they're like, you know, like looking like somebody's going to get hurt. I'm going to have to do resuscitation. I don't know what's going on. I, I went to break it up. Everyone goes, nah, leave them alone. They do this every day. So I'm going, what are they fighting about? Like, what is this about? So the door opens up and uh, four simultaneous tellers to see four people at a time. So it wasn't like who's one and who's two, because they're all going to get seen at the same time, but it was like a pride issue. And that's the passion of, of Eretz Yisrael to some degree. But it pales in comparison to the passion over this issue, the issue of treating terrorists and what to do with a terrorist who's subdued. So I'm going I'm to lay out four, four scenarios that are actual scenarios. Um, one comes from Rav That's the first one. This is an incredible story. You you never know whether it's a true story or one he's using as a vehicle. Some of the stories, I don't know if he has has volumes of sfarim on cases for medical halachic issues. So the following case, he describes as follows. There was a young Arab boy who was uh, being operated on an ophthalmological procedure for his eyesight. And his mother goes to him, she's speaking in Arabic, not aware of the fact that the nurses in the room understood it, and she says to the boy, uh, don't worry, my son, let this Jewish doctor fix your eyesight so that you can grow up, and then kill them with stones. So the nurse was obviously taken aback by this, tells the doctor that was going to be operating, he walks out of the room, there's no way I'm operating on this child. Someone else came in to take his place. So the first question is, who who was right? Was that proper behavior for him to leave the room in that kind of scenario? The second issue is just plain old, and this one I encountered myself. I was in the emergency room at Charit Tzedek uh, at some point, you know, uh, working with some people, and suddenly there was a big commotion in the emergency room, and they're carrying in a whole bunch of... uh, border police and the soldiers, this young Palestinian who was in handcuffs, but uh, he was coming in. And then there was uh, being also wheeled in what apparently was the victim of, of his terrorist act. It was a stabbing. It was during a period when there was a lot of stabbings going on. And the, you know, the, the question that arose was, A, to treat him at all. Do we, do we treat this Palestinian and then it was taken to another dimension. The question was triage. Who should we treat first? How should we triage this situation? Should we triage conventionally? The more, uh, at, of, uh, the greater need first or something like that? Or should we just push it, do the victim and, and we'll worry about the terrorist afterwards? Maybe we shouldn't even do the terrorist at all. And then dimension number three really came out most vividly when there was that, case, I don't know, everyone can formulate their own opinion about whether the soldier was just trying to kill the subdued terrorist, or he really was worried about him having a vest with explosives. You remember this case. It was very, very much out there in the news. Maybe the right thing to do is kill them. Is it the right thing? And we'll, we'll see what my standard of right or wrong will be in a minute. Obviously, it's going to be halachic. But before we get to that, all these issues are hotly, passionately debated in Eretz Yisrael and, you know, across the world. But there, unfortunately, it's Lamaisa. It's really Lamaisa question. And what happens is you have sides being taken. Very, very leftist and, uh, you know, self-righteous is the word I sometimes use, so, you know, have one opinion. And then very rightist have a different one. And the organizations, the major medical organizations... Split up. The uh, Israeli Medical Association and MADA said we have to treat them indiscriminately. You have to treat the terrorists no different than any other patient. You're not allowed, certainly not allowed to kill them. That's not even a shiloh. But you have to treat them fully and you have to triage them appropriately. And Zaka and Sohar, Sohar which is an interesting organization, Sohar is a little left leaning, it's known as a left organization. They came out the other way. They said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going for the victims. We're going to take care of the victims. So you had this battle. And then, you know, out of the woodwork come many, many ethicists. And there's a lot, if you if you Google this type of issue, you have tremendous amount of literature on it, most of it by these ethicists. And that's the, you know, I don't know how, what an ethicist does to make a living, but they somehow make a living. And um, uh, they they all have pretty much almost a consensus opinion, we have to treat them like everybody else. There can't be anything differentiating the treatment of a terrorist from any other person who walks into your emergency room. So, you know, in the middle of all this, people started to write, we need a policy. We need some kind of approach to these kind of cases to make it a formal policy that's gonna be adhered to by all emergency room physicians so that there's there's no like debates, you know, because what happened in that emergency room at Cherry like, there was a big screaming, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" There wasn't a a game plan. So there was this kind of landmark article written in 2009 where they came out, kind of saying, you know, the Geneva Convention differentiates lawful combatants from unlawful ones. So all the rules of the Geneva Convention about how to handle prisoners and how to handle enemy combatants, are written for those scenarios, and they're very clear-cut that you're supposed to treat them humanely, and you're supposed to treat them fairly, etc. But there's not, they the pharish, they explicitly separate the unlawful combatants, who are the terrorists. That's what a terrorist is. So there is no guidelines. There isn't anything. So everybody was begging for it. So what, what really got me into the issue was this on page one over here of this handout. This was written by Shari Sedic by representatives of Shared said. Treating terrorists and victims a moral dilemma. Now, they do a good job of outlining the dilemma, right? They, the drama, the true passionate drama, they very, very uh, nicely describe, right? So they, they start off, medical personnel worldwide find themselves treating injured perpetrators of terror, raising fundamental legal, ethical, and emotional issues. Then they say, two of the injured terrorists arrived at our institution And following standing triage protocol, we prioritized one terrorist to undergo surgery first since his medical condition called for it. So they're they're creating the scenario which actually happened. And then they're saying that this, of course, is a decision to treat him first did not come without emotional cost. Here we propose some guidelines. They're going to give the guidelines. So I'm, I'm saying, okay, let's see where this is heading. So they end up Again, describing the dilemma well, the moral issue of concurrently treating a terrorist and his victim is even more complex. It is actually, is it realistic to expect the staff to disregard the fact that the terrorist intended to kill this innocent person lying next to him? Just put yourself into that setting, and it's like incredibly challenging for a doctor standing there who has the victim, who was just victimized by this guy, and he's going to treat him first. It seems like Uh, A tremendous emotional, psychological challenge for anybody. But then they came up with their guidelines, which is the last paragraph. In our opinion, all patients entering the hospital are unequivocally equal without exception. As difficult as it might be, the medical staff must not be judgmental. Punishment is not the role of the medical staff. Rather, their duty and obligation is to preserve life, restore health. Judgment should be the exclusive province of the legal system, and physicians should practice their art without discrimination and with a clear conscience. Sounds nice, right? But one of the things that shocked me is one of the authors of this letter. You can see it. It's written there. It's public knowledge. Because he's a very halachic minded individual. He's one of the leading bioethicists uh, out there. I I know him. And... uh, I was, I have to say, shocked to see his signature on that conclusion. And I said to myself, I need to do my own independent halachic analysis. And that's really what we're going to do now. Dispassionate, what does the halacha say about the three issues that we're going to focus on? One, is it um, a chiyuv or an iser to treat the terrorist? That's question number one independently. Not triage, but if a terrorist comes in alone, do I have to treat him? Is that the halachically correct thing to do? Or is it an iser al halacha? Or is it neutral? That could be a third possibility. Second issue is triage. Even if, let's say, there is a mitzvah that you have to treat everybody. Sooner or later you've got to treat everybody. What if there's now a choice between victim and terrorist? Is it really that I'm going to use conventional triage? Or is there room to say, no, I'm going to do what Zaka does and what Soar decided, which are rabbinic organizations, by the way, more rabbinically oriented, than the IMA and Mada. Mada, those are sort of medical, right? Who is right about that? Should we triage victim or should we triage according to convention? And the third, which is what we're going to start with, is it mutter, if I have my terrorists subdued on the floor, to do what that soldier did. To me, it was clear what he did. He just ended it. You know, he, he doesn't want to deal with this guy anymore, and he just shot him. He claimed that it was because he thought he was going to explode his vest. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. But is it okay to do such a thing, or is that something that the halacha would find very objectionable? So we're going to start with that. Can you kill a subdued terrorist? So the first issue, and this is not in your handout, but I'll I'll say it from the... Gemara and Makos. Dafiyyad Aleph, Dafiyad Bez discusses the idea of extrajudicial punishments, right? Everyone knows about a Goal Adam. We just read about it in uh, Parshus Massey last week. There is this concept, the Goal Adam gets to go after the Roteach. So people are usually confused about that. If you don't learn Makos well, so you... You ask yourself, does that mean that the Gol Adam can just kill this guy, you know, like that, just without going to court and convicting him? So the answer is, and it's a discussion in the Gemara on Aleph, Beys, on his way to the Ir Miklat, and also if he leaves the Ir Miklat, can the Gol Adam just kill him? And it's a little bit of a machlokis, but the Rambam's p'sak is quite clear. The Rambam says like this There is a mitzvah to kill the rotsach, but Everyone thinks that means without going to court, but the Rambam says, no, it's with going to court. In Hay of uh, Perak Rishad, of Hilchos the Rambam says, Shaharag bezadon, Ein mamisin oso ha'edim, oso. Somebody who kills somebody, the and it's clear, and they're an edim, and they see, and people see, they are not allowed to just take the law into their own hands and kill you need to go to base din there's no extrajudicial killing in halacha it has to go through the courts there has to be a guilty uh, the person found guilty and then the gool adam can be the first one if he chooses to do the actual execution and this is based on a pasuk and that's a black and white din is there any exceptions Anyone know of an exception to that? What's what's an exception to that? What's the only setting where we could, not only can we? What?
0: Because rodef,
1: rodef, oh, rodef, rodef, exactly. And so that's the next halacha. The yeah. Rambam makes sure that we realize that. Bamedvar, mamurim b'sha'avar va'asa avon Aval rodef. If you see a rodef, if you see someone going after somebody to kill them, you are chayiv to stop them. To be saving the near death. So that's the exception, right? If there is. Now, our case that we're starting with is that guy a Rodef? The guy lying on the floor who just got shot and is immobilized? He's not a Rodef. Well, we'll see. We'll talk more. Maybe he's a future Rodef. We'll see. But to begin with, what is he? I mean, if you see a terrorist running up running to somebody, obviously the right thing to do is kill him. Kill him, save the person. That's a no-brainer. Our case is a little more needs a little more finesse. Right? We have the guy lying on the ground. He's subdued. That's the Shiloh. So there are people. Uh, he's a
0: because we know
1: whenever he gets a chance, he'll do it tomorrow. So he'll do it, do it uh, Okay, so we'll get to that in a second. Now, right now he's not doing anything, right? He's immobilized. He's not able, he's you know, he's he's got he's surrounded by a hundred Israeli soldiers he's on the floor bleeding out, he needs medical attention. That's our scenario. So, nevertheless, there are several, made, several very big postgames in Eretz Yisrael that said the right thing to do is kill. Right? We have to understand them. And then we have to see what the psaq of most postgame is. is. Good. So, you I mean for Rodif in general? A hundred percent. So that's going to be very relevant very soon. But, what many people point to is a very, very interesting suya which you have in the handout, of Baba Machteris. We're going to see how they work with this, to create, right, Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, is one of the famous ones, he came down and said, that soldier did the right thing, if you killed him, purposely. He said, that was the thing to do. right? And there are other post of of the same sort of same hashkafa, that came out the same way. What was their basis? So one big Thing they point to is a Rashi, in Sanhedrin on the suya of Baba M'chteres. What's Baba Machteris? What's the Suya? So we're all familiar, but just in case. So if somebody is there's uh, a crook and he's coming, tunneling into your house. So the Torah says that the balabais is allowed to kill him, right? Why? What's the basis for that? Right? It's this. Uh, it's on page three of the handout if you want to see the Mishnah, right? But we'll take it outside to move faster. So the, the rationale the Gemara develops is based on certain chazakos. There are certain assumptions that we could make that, what are they? So if it's a case of uh, Stam Ganov is coming into your house, so he knows Chazaka number one is people don't just stand by and let people take their possessions and their money. People just don't like let you, you have it. So I'm going to defend my property, I'm going to defend my money. Okay... And I'm going to defend it with your life and my life. That's how far I'm going to go. That's Chazaka number one. Chazaka number two is, so therefore he's saying to himself, the Gandalf, I know this guy's going to do that. So if need be, I'm going to kill him. So he's like, "Alpidin, pidin a That's how Baba Mechtharik works, right? The Chazakos create this assumption that the Gandalf is coming in to kill the balabayas. What does that allow now for? He's coming to kill you based on the chazakos. Therefore, kill him. So there is a heter. What? But now that I know he's going to kill
0: him because of his den, so he's a rodef.
1: Who is the balabais? <clears throat> now the
0: the crook assumes that the balabais
1: is going to kill him, so the balabais is a rodic. But now that we know that, right. he's a rod. Right. So right. So you you sound like the ran, which uh, we're going to use in a minute. But basically, the straight, the, the, the simple shot here is that we're making the gunav the rodef, right? Because of the the full scope of the story, and therefore the Torah says that's the chiddush of the Torah is the baal abayis gets to look at the gunav as a rodef, and therefore he could kill him. And we say the expression that's used. What's the expression everyone knows? This expression ain't no damim, ain't no damim. The gunav has no damim. That's a very important expression. Rashi says, like, he's like a dead. He's dead. He's gavrekatil. He's dead already. So therefore, your putter, if you kill a dead person, right? There's no ister involved in killing a dead person. It's very, what? Right, right. So in a case where he's uh, guilty and he's doing it, the it, ain't l'adam. Right. So ain't Lodamim for the goal adam if he kills somebody. In other words, there it means he's not guilty. Ain't lo him over here is referring to the God of that the of is considered so an enlo-damim, you can kill him. That's how Rashi puts it in the beginning of the mission. Okay. So, what does this have to do with our case? What does the Ba'am have to do with our case? So, this is on page 2, actually, of your handout. There is an interesting follow-up to this Gemara. The Gemara says, well, tanarabanan this part I'll read inside, damim lo bein b'chol bein b'shabus, enlo damim bein b'chol Bain b'shabus. What does that mean? So, Damimlo means the case of where we decided the guy, the Ganav, is not coming to kill. Right? A father and a son. That's the the scenario. Right? Even though the father might rob from the son, he's not coming to kill the son. He'll have Rachmanus. So you're not allowed to kill, if your father's coming, this is really reassuring, if your (laughs) your father's coming to rob you, he's probably not going to kill you. So you're not allowed to kill him. Yeshlo Damim. He has Damim. But if it's anyone else, right, and interestingly... I used to kid with my kids about this a little bit, right? If it's the son coming to rob the father, it's like a whole different ballgame over there. But anyway, go figure that one. Um, but over here, if somebody else is coming to rob you, you get to use those chazakas and you say, En lo damin. So the Gemara over here, though, is, is keying on the damin is written in plural. Why is damin plural? To teach you in both scenarios, this is true, bein b'chol bein b'shabbos So Gomar says, wait a second. b'shabbos what, what does that mean? One of the scenarios makes sense, Bain b'chol Bain b'shabbos I understand why you're telling me. There's a Havamina that on Shabbos it would be different. Which which scenario is that? Which one would I think Shabbos is different? That you're allowed to kill him. In the case of dam I mean you could kill the guy. We know that the base din couldn't carry out a death penalty on Shabbos. There's a din that you're not allowed to execute on Shabbos. So how Mina is, maybe, I can't kill the guy if it's Shabbos. Kamash malan, ain't lo damim bein bein be So, okay, that one I get. But says the Gemara, what am I learning in the other scenario? Where I'm not allowed to kill him. If I'm not allowed to kill him on Chol, kal I'm not allowed to kill him on Shabbos. Why do you have to teach me it? So here's the key line. So the Gemara says... What does that mean? So here's where this Rashi comes in. So Rashi gives the following shot: When do we need to know in the case like that? If, let's say, when the, uh, the crook is tunneling into your house, he gets his just desserts. What's his just desserts? He has a collapse. The wall falls down on him. He's trapped. He's going to die. Or he's dead already. He's underneath There. Do I have to save his life? Do I have to pull out the, the the stones and the whatever fell on him and save him? So, in the case, what do we learn? In the case of Yeshlodamim, uh, when he's not coming to kill you and you can't kill him, not only that, but you have to save him. Even on Shabbos, you have to save them and take away all the debris, even though it's Khil Shabbos. Right? Why that's a Chiddush is not for now. If, you learn, if you're learning the Gemarbihan, you'd have to answer that child. What we're more interested in is the follow-up. And then Rashi says, but what about the guy who ain't low-domin, that you're allowed to kill? Let's say he's under the debris. What's the din there? Well, let me ask you this. Normally with a Rodaif, if a Rodaif, someone's coming to kill someone else. So number one, somebody mentioned already, we're supposed to not try and kill him. Right? If we could stop them without killing them, that's even better. But more than that, let's say somebody is coming at me to kill me, low alive, right? And uh, you're you're there with your gun, and you're going to save my life. And what happens is um, you got him, you stopped him, right? What's the din now? Let's say he's a Jew. The Jew is coming. I don't know why he's mad at me, but he's he's now stopped. He was shot. He's on the ground. What's the halacha? What do you have to do? Save him. Save him. You have to, you're chayiv to save his life. There's three mitzvahs hasse and two mitzvahs non You got to save the guy. So, what's happening over here though? Says Rashi, because this guy is a Gavra Katila, the guy ain't lo damen, means we consider him dead, leave him there to die. Says Rav Shmuel Eliyahu in other postkin. this is our case. Here is this. Uh, Rotzeach, Shirodeh, coming to kill Jews he's down on the ground like under the Gal like under those stones he's a Gavra Katila not only do you not have to save him but you can let him die and you can kill him and you're not guilty of anything because you're killing a Gavra Katila that's Rashi's That's and they're taking it Allah to this point what's the difficulty of it. We have like our Fetzal Morah and there's no power to it. But it does say it gives the reason that Fetzal because that kid is going to grow up and become a murderer therefore they kill. So there's a slaughter behind the mitzvah of killing the child a parent killing that child. So can you
0: can you take that slaughter and put it in the case? This person is not be a no but he has that classification of Ben Mora, like that was a child, that as soon as they get, well,
1: they're going to come back and try to kill someone again. Is it, is it a continuum, or is it, a, is it, is it static? Right, so, so very good. Um, it's very interesting that you, you, you use that parallel to Ben Saramara, the, the Gemara actually does that. It says, Al Shum Sofo, for both. It's very, very interesting, and there's a lot of Torah written on the parallel between Ben Saramara and the case of Baba and right? But, so I'm, I'm going to definitely answer your question. It's, it's very, very obviously relevant. But give me a minute, because I want to do something first. Does this Rashi make sense? Does this Rashi make sense? Rashi's telling me, I have a rodef. Now, he's declared a rodef based on these Chazakos, right? The, the Baba Makhtaris is not actually running after anyone literally to kill them. I'm assuming, I'm making a bunch of assumptions. I'm assuming all those Chazakos. I'm assuming he's thinking that I'm going to protect my money, with my life, therefore, he's probably coming to kill me. That's two big assumptions. Therefore, I could kill him, right? That's not the same as a regular rodef case, is it? And this is what all the rishonim are asking. In a regular rodef case, once I got the guy down, I'm chayev to save him. I cannot. He's not a gavra katila, right? He ran after me literally to kill me. And now he was stopped. The Chiyuv, if it's a Jew, is all those Chiyuvim. You have to save his life. Why is this different? Rashi's telling me it's different because he's a Gavr How does that work? So everyone jumps on this Rashi, everyone attacks. The meteor, they say, what Rashi must mean, this is just a cut to the chase, is it's related to what some of you have been saying. It must be that there's an assumption if we save this guy, he's immediately going to be Rodif again. He's looking to be Rodif. He's down for the moment, you get him up, he's going to go right back to where he was. And that's the rationale behind it. Others say very creative answer. They say well, what Rashi's telling you is he put himself into that position. There is a din it's actually a hotly debated din in, uh, in Hilchas Rafur on Shabbos. What if somebody puts themselves b'pikuch nefesh, b'pshiyah they put themselves into that position. There are some, there's some, there's actually a shita that says you can't save them. You've got to let them go. You know, they did it with now live with it, or die with it, basically. Now we don't pass in that way. We paskin that if a person puts themselves, even with we're going to save them. So, but this, Achran wants to say, maybe that's what's going on here. the Rashi, He's saying, the guy did it to himself, good for him. But we don't pass in that way. And truthfully, if you read the Rashi inside, which we didn't get to do, we just don't have enough time to do this that way, Rashi seems very clear as to what he's saying. Gavra Katila, You could kill this guy because he's a dead man, right? Which is the not what we say about a Rodesh. Rashi doesn't say you can kill him. Rashi just says you can't save him. There's no empathy. Right, it's going one step further, but it's a very easy step to take. No, it's standing on challah Shabbos because there's nobody to say there's nobody to comment. Right. So there are people. The Be'iri learns it that <laughs> way. The Yad Rama says ben no, and most Echronim find it very difficult to understand why there should be a chiluk between Shabbos and challah, and they go like the, the Yad Rama, and they're saying he's emphasizing the and I show it to you in the Mishnah also he's emphasizing that. The reason that we're allowed to kill this Baba Machteras is because he's viewed as though his life is gone. He's <laughs> a little literally. That's and that way, he's, he's a guy for Katila, and you can kill him. The one who made Islam this really famous is Reb Chaim and Rabbi Shawaz. Rabbi is a beautiful two pieces. Yeah, He wrote in two different places where he's between Baba Machteras and Rodif. And this is the main reason. Most people reject this rash. They reject the approach of the Shmoyam. They don't buy it. They say that Baba is a special din. It's a din, where does the Ramah put it? In Says it's a din in Gineva. It's like an onish for the Ghana. The onish for the Ghana is this extreme khidish. The khiddish is remarkable. You have to think about it. We're saying he's he's thinking he's going to say this. Money in uh, that guy's life. Therefore, he's probably to kill. There's a lot of big assumptions being made to turn that guy into a rogue. But he's not a rodent. The Rana says what the was we saying before. The Rana says the Balabais is really the rogue. Why doesn't he? I remember I once heard a Shia from he's Rudinsky, amazing and He kept saying over and over again, why isn't the Balabais just leave him alone? Like let the Balabais let him have the money. Why do we have to get him to kill him? Right. So the whole thing is a tremendous pibish. And therefore, uh, all these posts developed this idea that Rashi's finish is in the context of Baba Bakhtar. But when it comes to Rode, once he's down, the din is you can't touch him. Extrajudicial killings are us. There is no license to kill under those conditions. That's the, the great consensus. However, <laughs> we still have Henry's question. Oh. And so when does does it a for it? Good. So that's where I'm getting to right now. I'm getting to it right now. So what? You've been biting at the bull. So, fine, the guy... So we can assume right now the guy is, is subdued. He's not killing anyone, right? But if you, all anyone has to do is research some of the terrorists that were released in the Gilad Shalit uh, exchange. That crazy, crazy exchange. thousand terrorists for him, right? Now, everyone understood what motivated it. But they looked into what did these 1,000 guys end up doing later. So there are reports. Thankfully not a large percentage, but enough, came right back, did it again. And many people make this argument, which I think is what you, were, you guys were saying. All right, he's not a roadiff right now, but when he recovers, if we save him, he's going to go right back can't we consider him at least a Suffolk Rodaf right now? And if he's a Suffolk Rodaf, kill him on the basis of being a Suffolk Rodaf. Right? Everybody's a Suffolk Rodaf. I think a guy who has a track record, he just killed some, He just attempted to kill something. Good. 100% true. 100%. The debate is what's the halacha? Right? We're trying to be dispassionate. My passion's there too, right? I mean, it's just. Especially if you're there and you like, see the guys, you see the victim, you know the victim's family, you know what's going on, the emotions are strong. But what does the halacha say? So the halacha says like this. There's both Rav and Rav Moshe weighed in on this issue. Do we kill a Suffolk rodif? Do we kill a Suffolk Rodef? In other words, minimally, you've got to admit, the guy's a Suffolk Rodef. He's not a badai rodif. Whatever the percentage of those 1,000 people, right? he's at least that percentage a Suffolk rodif. So they said, absolutely, under no conditions can you kill a Suffolk Rodev. It has to be Karov Levada to make the cut as a Rodev, that you're allowed to kill them. So this will not be an avenue to do it, even though admittedly there's a Suffolk Rodev here. Nevertheless, the halacha is, according to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and Rav El I figure that's all i got to bring in is those two big enough hitters, right? And believe me, they are, and uh, that would do, do the trick. So, but we're not allowed to kill non Jews. You know, just. <laughs> Say that again? Do they get the protections? Well, they're not, it's not a Rodef protection. That's the wrong word. Rodef is a license to kill. If someone is a Rodef, you kill them. We're talking about a subdued person lying on the floor who's not doing anything. They get the protection of being a human being who's on the floor and not threatening anybody, they get the non Rodef protection. Right? Yeah. Baruch Hashem. We can't just go around, you know, killing people. So, uh, you know, you hear what I'm saying. You know, in other words, like, I hear what you're saying. We're going to, I'm going to get more into what you're saying in a minute. You know, 100%
0: only guy You know, 100% of the in that building, on Shabbos, you ought to be with Shabbos to remove the... Yeah, well... besides No,
1: you're not, listen... For a non-b'nei bris, I, I can't be Mechal Shabbos, period. Okay. So Mi'ikar adin. But Mishum P'k'or never well, I've done it many times. And it's the right thing to do. And and even, according to certain shechas that we'll get to, not Mishum Eva. Mishum Mi'ikar but we'll talk about it. Those are a little controversial, but I'm going to mention. There is, I've looked into this very, very significantly. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know... The, the names associated with this, we're going to talk about it, Rav Nachum Rabinovich, Rav Soloveitchik, maybe. That's the one who's hotly debated. Definitely Rav Aaron that for sure, he put it in writing. And Rav Aaron Luchtenstein. Like, those, those, that group feels that Bikur Novich does apply to them, but we'll, we'll get to it. It has relevance to us, even though not, not yet. Just on the aspect, so Rome doesn't fit into being able you were looking for a lot of mechanisms. Vada, vada, That's the lashon that Rav Eliashev used, right? Um, so, because if you, go, if you take five terrorists that you know that are going to kill again, it's not relevant that you know they're going to kill again, because... Well, if you know is Vada, that's it, they're, then they're erodic. But how do you know that Batur is Vada? It's a very difficult thing to know. Because they asked it, they said about themselves. Said that would change the halach. I, I believe it would. Then it would make him a rodef. All of a sudden, he changes. Mind. If he's a rodef, I could kill him. If he's not a rodef or besafik rodef, that's the chiddush. The chiddush is besafik rodef is not good enough. Not good enough to justify kill him. It's just not. We don't. We're very anti-killing people. So <laughs> you consider a rodif if he wants to kill? Him? I just check. Okay. So two terrorists are saying, "I still want to kill." Him. But if he can't a Rubev, no. If he can't, that's just as good as if, you know, it doesn't matter what he says. He can't. Okay, so. The robot dropped his gun. Do I have to give it back then? <laughs> I shot him in the hand. Do you, you don't have, can have to shoot. facilitate the hand, we can shoot. No, the point is, though, getting back to this very critical point why is Rabbi Moshe and Rabbi Yoshev writing this way? Aside from the fact that they know the Suya backwards and forwards. Is that there's one critical element that's very, very telltale in, in the halachas of Rodev. And that is upfront, and the halacha. If you could stop him any other way, you must. Right? You can't just kill. It's not a. It's all about hatsalas or mirdaf. The emphasis of the halacha of redifa is saving the mirdaf. So whatever you can do, we don't want extrajudicial killing. That is not a, a Torah value. Okay. So I, I think the consensus opinion amongst most post with some notable uh, exceptions, mainly Shmuel Eliyahu and Rabin Sion Mustafi is another one. Those two, he's from Yushalayim, right? Those two are the ones advocating killing. Most of the other post were against it. You can't just kill a subdued Okay, that's step one. That's question number one. So the answer is, you shouldn't kill them. What about treating them? Should you treat them? Is it, is it uh, mutter, mitzvah? What's the status of treating them? So on this, it's interesting. I, I like to evaluate this, and uh, maybe some of the physicians here will appreciate this, from starting from, do I ever have to treat anyone, let's say in a secular perspective, we'll put halacha aside for a moment, in American law, can I refuse to treat somebody? Somebody comes to me seeking medical attention. Could I refuse to see them? No. What's, what's the law? No. Better ask the physicians. Yes. Now, okay, so I could just, for any reason, not so posh. So, number one, in an emergency room, if someone's unstable, it's absolutely illegal not to try to stabilize them. In an emergency room, you've got to stabilize. And then you could throw them out once they're stable but for very specific reasons. Now, there is a little bit of difference in private practice versus someone who's working for a government, like a Medicare hospital or something like that, where your hands are tied more. But in private practice, for example, what are legitimate reasons to say not to treat? There are some. Uh, It's not my expertise. Right? I mean, I remember when when I first was at Gross... Uh, right, so that's a biggie. Yes, for sure. You're not going to pay me. You know what I mean? I don't take your insurance. My <laughs> right? And then when I was in gross, I remember, you know, I'm a pediatric cardiologist, so I had this very nice gentleman. He was learning in gross for many, many years, about 80 years old, and he wanted me to do his urological. I was trying to convince him it's just not my area, but I could refuse his request that I be his urologist. What else? This is, this is one of my favorites. If you or your spouse are a malpractice lawyer, that's a legitimate uh, legal reason to refuse to treat that. Now, I have like three in my practice. I'm like a, getting nervous about it, but it's, it's actually, in secular law, there are reasons to say no. In halacha, different. In halacha, if it's a Jew, we'll start with a Jew, you are chayiv to treat. There's none of those excuses. None of them, Right? There's three mitzvahs asay, lotamanodam recha, the hafta recha, and kamocha. All of these are different rishonim, the ramban and Tarsa adam, the rambam, the, the nitziv, throws in the imach. Three mitzvahs asay, lotamanodam recha, mitzvahs the lotis alen, by the haftar Right. All of these are reasons you must treat a Yisrael. Okay, so that's easy. What about a non Yisrael? Is there, is, let's, get, let's finally get to it. Is there halachic status of a non israel in terms of a chiv to treat them, or a mitzvah, or what? Anyone uh, have an opinion? What do you think? Should there be? Right, so... Okay, good. Okay. So I don't know if you have this in the handout or not, but there's a gemar and gittin. You might have it. <laughs> I forgot what pages I took out of my... May in says, Mishum Darke Shalom. It's a very important thing to do. So I remember I had a personal experience. I had to tell this a funny story. I hope I have time for stories. But this one really cracks me up every time I repeat it. <laughs> so it's a good thing Rabbi Shreya is not here. He heard this story. I was once on call for Holy Name Hospital. So it's the middle of the night. I get called in. I think it was even a Friday night. And I call in and there's this baby who has an arrhythmia. Very fast heart rate, an SVT. So it looks like the baby's very, very sick. And uh, it was a nice Palestinian couple. They had just emigrated from the West Bank to, I guess, I think Patterson, <laughs> believe it, actually. And they were in Holy Name, and their baby is really, really sick. So I come in, and it's, if you're a cardiologist, you realize that I didn't really do anything so great. I gave adenosine, I broke the arrhythmia, and... They were f- unbelievably grateful. Unbelievably. I did a Mishum Dar Kishon. And they, I had follow up in my office. They come in, they're all excited. We love you. We're so grateful to you. We named the baby after you. I said, Well, Howie? <laughs> like, Howie Mustafa? Like, like, what do you mean you named the baby after me? So he goes, They go, Well, we heard that you actually spent a lot of time in Israel, so we named her Palestina. Wow, what, what a claim to fame. Anyway, um, so there are some fringe benefits. But <laughs> the halacha actually goes further than Dark Shalom. The halacha goes like this. There is a din by a ger toshav, the Ramban, the Rambam, and the Shulchan Aruch Paskin, an actual ger toshav. There is a mitzvah lahatziyolotam. There's a, there's a real kiyama mitzvah, possibly a chiyuv, to treat them and take care of them. Okay, that's a girtosha. Bizmanenu, we don't have girtosha, right? For technical reasons, right? But we have ethical non-Jews. We have good Zion mitzvos non-Jews. They're good people. They're ethical people. What's their status? So there's actually a debate about this. You know, in this halacha, there's a strong shita to treat them just like a girtosha, which means that your average uh, ethical which is most, of most, you know, non non it's a mitzvah to, to treat them, just straight up, right? The, the biggest advocates are those people I said before, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Rav, Rav Soloveitchik, Rav nachman Rabinovich, and Rav Aaron You know, they go far. They'll go even on Shabbos, but it's not for now. It's a whole other topic. They will say that that type of person, maybe we should even... They're making two leaps of faith to say that, but... They they'll say it that far, but certainly that it's a mitzvah to do. That's more pasht to say. So what about our guy, our terrorist? What category does he fit in? So there is an iser to treat an akum, right? This is a gemara in Avodah Zarah, daf It's psak in the Shulchan Arach. You're, it's aser for you to treat an akum. What's an akum? Someone is over at Avodah Zarah. Somebody is over at Avodah Zarah. It's also to treat them. What's the only exception? Mishum eva. This is where eva comes in. Mishum eva. If I don't treat them, you know, it could have major ramifications. So, because of that, that there'll be baseless hatred and it will cause a lot of trouble. So, we're even allowed to treat an akum. Okay. What's this guy? The terrorist. Is he an akum? He's the biggest monotheist. He's probably a militant monotheist, right? He's more of a monotheist than we are, right? Like, he's, he's like, you know, uh, feels that, you know, anyone who's breaking from monotheism is worthy of death, right? So, and, and maybe he'll do it. But does he get the dispensation of a ger toshav or like a ger toshav? If we define that by Zionist, is he being over on any of those? Yeah, yeah Ritzich is a biggie, Right? He's he's killing people, so he's a rotsayach, so he shouldn't really be in there at all. What about mishumeva? Maybe mishumeva. So. Evaluate the, the whole political situation. So actually, well, let's 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 take this a little slower. So I I have a rule that it is a mitzvah for me to care for a virtuous shomer Zion mitzvahs bnei noach. Ger Toshav-like non-benebris. I have a guy on the floor who he's a pretty good guy. He's probably ethical in every way except for Rutzikha. right? That's the only thing he's doing. So how do I treat him? So Mishumeva, I should save him. Now, what does that mean, Mishumeva, I should save him? What does that mean? Eva? Who's going to have Eva? Them? So I wanted you, it's in the handout, this you have to see inside a little bit. Probably the last page in the handout. How much more can they hate us? That's, that's my point. Page six. This is, uh, you might have remembered this horrible event. This poor woman was with her baby and her husband was being stabbed and she's describing the event. She gave a chilling account of how the stabbing attack that killed her husband and another man who came to the family's help unfolded and how her cries for help were ignored as she herself was stabbed repeatedly. I yelled, please help me, and they just spat at me. These are the on-looking other people in the area, meaning the Palestinians that were there. One of them slapped her while another laughed in her face and told her to drop dead. When she told him she would give a million shekels if he helped her get to safety with her two toddlers. In other words, like there is significant hatred already, It's hard to believe that we could use Eva in that scenario. So Eva per se, that it's going to make them hate us, is probably not the route we want to go to justify treating this guy. And the truth of the matter is that the halacha is, it's us to treat an akum. Some people want to say dafka, someone is over the vodazara comes Rav Zilberstein, and he makes the following argument. He says, but a Rotzech is worse. A Rotzech is worse than an Ovidavodah Therefore, if it's usher to treat an akum, it's definitely usher to treat a rotzeach. How does he know it's worse? So it's very, very interesting. It's in the hand too, but we'll do it outside. Um, Rashi, another Rashi by Rodev. When the Gemara discusses Rodev, so it says a very different lashon. The Mishnah says a very different lashon. Actually, just quickly, let's look at it together. In the in the handout, it's page three. Actually, page two. Sorry. Nope. Page four. There we go. The elu hen shematzilin osan benavshan. The following people, you're allowed to kill to save someone. That's the classic Rodef. Somebody who's running after somebody to kill them, you can save the Nirdaf by killing the Rodef. The Akhar ha the Akhar ha Murasa, or in those cases where someone's uh, gonna sodomize a, a male or rape a female, you could save the victim, Pashabshat, by killing the ro-de-. Rodef. Aval, Rodef Achar Behema. Someone who's uh, doing, uh, being Rodev to be over on the iser of bestiality. The Mechalal Somebody who's being Mechal a Shabbos. All these people are Chayv Misa. The ain't no ben So them, you can't kill to save them. What's the Chiluk in the Mishnah? How do you explain this Mishnah? The first three cases, you're allowed to kill somebody to. S- Save the to to save the situation. Somebody's running after someone to kill them. You could kill the road there. What?
0: The push-up the, the shot. Yeah.
1: Good. What's push-up shot? Push-up shot is well. There's a victim here. There's no victim there. One of them is just people of misa, and one of them is there's a, someone to save. It's all about hatzalas anirdaf. Look at Rashi writes one one like two words. The What does that mean? This is an amazing shot Rashi's giving. Rashi says, "No, we're gonna Right? We're gonna save this guy from himself. A guy is running to kill somebody. Says that's such a horrible avera. Says Rashi, you could kill him before he does that avera. Someone who's going to uh, sodomize somebody or." do, uh, rape a woman, a right? adulterous rape. Also, you kill them before they do the aveirah. So within Rashi's chat, which is very b'chidosh, what's his chiluk? So what the lamdanim the, the, the say is the khiluk in Rashi is, he's telling you levels of aveirah. And we're interested in two. Ritzicha versus Avodah Zarah. The guy who's going to do Avodah Zarah, His Avera is not egregious enough to justify killing him. Let him do it. The guy who's doing Ritziyacha, that's far worse. What's the basis of that? Why is killing worse than Avodah It It, Not only does it affect another person, 100%, but if you look at the Rambam, which I hope I gave you in that handout also. Page page (coughs) 5. What the Rambam writes... Is it, it destroys society, Legamre. Murder is the worst of ever possible. And it is in a class by itself. This is where Zilberstein's Raya was this Rambam. Right? He didn't bring in the Rashi, but I, I remembered that Rashi always bothered me. But the Rashi and this Rambam are hand in hand. It says the Rambam, that, what's the context for the Rambam? Let's say somebody's a murderer and gets off at the technicality. What's the din? In other words, you know, in order to convict somebody of murder and be Chaiv Misa. You need to have a lot of things, right? You need a kat of Adin. You need two Adin, not Zer, Harzer, but together. But if you have two Adin, but one at a time, the guy's off. He's off the hook. So what do we do with a guy like that? We know he's the murderer. We have witnesses. So the, the p'sak is, we put him in the kippah. And what is that to me? That's like a fate worse than anything. He, until he explodes, right? And it's a, it's a, horrible, it's a horrible way to go. So the Rambam says, the only time we do something like this is by Ritzicha. We don't do it to someone who's Mechal Shabbos. We don't do it to somebody who's Obedev on the Zarah. We don't put them in a kippah under the same exact circumstances where we have a technicality getting them more from the Chih of Misa. And he feels the need to explain it. How does he explain it? He explains it because there's nothing worse than Ritzicha. Killing is the absolute worst of error there is for society. Even though they're all Yavor, they're, they're to some degree in the same category of severity, but killing people is in a class by itself. So, at the end of the day, if I can't treat an Akum, I can't treat a Roteach. And, it's, and Rav Zilberstein says, the Psak is, mi to treat the terrorists. Asir. You're not allowed to treat them. Wow. What about Eva? Forget Eva. Give me a break. But, that's not the psak. That's not the psak. At the end of the day, we're going to treat them. But not quite the way that letter in Lancet presents it. Any, what were you going to say? You're making the assumption that the eva comes from the local part involved. Mm-hmm. The is a whole world. Right, good. So that's that's what we're going to return now to being Michal Shabbos for non-b'nei bris, when we're normally, mikor not allowed to. But we can, because of the formula that you just mentioned. But now we're going to expand, expand upon it, because there's very insightful statements made by Gedol Yisrael that are relevant to this. Meshach Chachma, we'll start with him. There is a din of Esh Yisif Has Right, what's that din? The din is that, uh, under certain conditions, we can't go into the whole here, it's very interesting, Esh Yisif Hastar, but that there's a, the Torah allows for the Yitzhara to have a little uh, leeway, so to speak. But it's much more complicated than that. But what the Meshachachma points out is, this, is, this whole din of Eshah Torah only true if we are victorious, if we're in control. But if we're not in control of uh, you know, the situation and we don't have jurisdiction over the, our enemies, the Meshachachma says, don't touch any Eshah Sifat Torah. Why? Because if you do it, they're going to do it. And it'll be open season on all Jewish women all over the world. The the, the uh, Beis Halevi says something even more remarkable. There was a whole shayla, should we bring a Korban Pesach? Should we bring a Korban Pesach? So everyone's giving arguments. Oh, you know, you need this, you need this for the avodah, etc. Comes along the the Beis Halevi and he says, you want to debate the Halacha, I'll tell you right now, I can wipe the floor with you. I will be matir that all the halachic problems we could solve, we'll be able to bring a Korban Pesach. But I'm telling you not to do it. Why? Because it's going to cost the Konos to for Jews. And if it's going to cost the Konos to it doesn't matter. It's not worth it. Don't do it. The, those were the Ryans where Zilberstein came to tell why his Pesach was going to be not to kill. But the one that's even more overriding is we have this concept and this Rab Moshe Feinstein is... You know, very, very passionate about. There is a, a Shiloh about treating a non-benei bris on Shabbos, and the Chafetz Chaim actually writes in the Mishnah Barura that you know all doctors that are being machal Shabbos to treat non-benei bris, Hashem Yishmerenu. That's that's the lashon he uses. He can't believe that we do it. He's talking to us. You've been on Shabbos. I've been on Shabbos, and you do treat non binate bris. So Rav Moshe says, he can't believe pekadosh kadosh amar Davarze, He can't believe the Chavetz Chaim actually said that because everybody else disagrees. Everybody else says you are chayev to treat anam b'nei b'nei Chavez. Why? So he gives the example that, um, you know, he was in Russia, even if it's happening in one place where you're not so worried that the in, in, in the NYU emergency room anyone's going to touch you or in Colombia. But somewhere, somebody is going to use it as an excuse to take it out on Jews. A lot of them don't view the terrorists as terrorists. They view them as freedom fighters. If you have your like, you know, typical, I don't know, Turkish doctor, it No, I don't want to bring in any name. But you have somebody who doesn't feel the same. I don't know what his view is. But you, you can imagine this type of thing. I'll tell you when it really hit on with me, a oh, story. I had a patient. Um, who was uh, about 15, 16 years old? Uh, sh- clearly, the most depressed person I've ever seen in my life. Why? He was dying. He had about, we estimated, 48 hours left. He had a severe heart defect, and um, everyone had given up. There was like nothing to do, and I was like just a fellow. I meaning I was training. I had a little chutzpah so I'm saying to the attending what's going on why are we not transplanting this kid so they said well the family doesn't want to do it I go why not this doesn't make sense so because I remember I used to go over to the kid try to cheer him up right so he stops me he says don't come near me right this is the kid the way he spoke to me don't come near me my life is over it's horrible I'm never going to go to Eretz Yisrael a your kid I'm never going to get married I'm never going to have kids none of that's ever going to happen so get away from me so he tore my heart out <laughs> I ran to his parents I said come on what's going on let's transplant him we can save his life well isn't it us, sir? I go no it's not us, sir. it's not us, sir certainly to receive that's a whole other topic why it's us, sir to give according to many but not usir us, to receive the fact is it's mutter to receive really? I said who's your posseek? Rabbi Feinstein called him on the spot. Right there, he said to them, of course it's mutter. Save him. And this, I've never seen happen since. Within 48 hours, he got a heart. And he got to Eretz Yisrael. I danced at his chastanah. I've been to two of his brisim. His mother sends me a card every Rosh Hashanah. It's unbelievable. This is many years ago. Baruch Hashem, is doing great. The amazing part of the story that's relevant for this is right initially when they agreed finally to do the transplant, I went running to the transplant office and I go to them, I go, okay, he's good, they're ready to list. Now, usually when you get the transplant people, I don't know what your experience is, but mine is when you get them involved, they're like Superman. You know, like, they throw you out the window, they take over. They're so excited about this chance to like save the day. And I'm noticing no one's moving. No one's like moving. Like, come on, come on, let's go. And I'm trying to like psych them up. Why aren't you all going to save this guy's life? And they were honest with me. Well, we heard Orthodox people don't donate. So, you know, is it fair that he should get it? And I'm like thinking, oh my God, what brilliance Chazal had. Very subtle. But I quickly showed her the Hodes website and turned her around and then they saved him. But just that little subtle idea that Orthodox Jews don't do the same thing. It was enough to trigger what would have cost this kid his life. So that's the idea. That's what ultimately most of the post can say, which is, because it'll be so overt, if we don't treat them and we let them die, it's going to be a sakana for Klai And therefore you should. However, and here's where the most passionate debate comes in, what if you could do triage and no one knows? In other words... This to me is the nafkamina. If you, you know, don't treat somebody at all and just let them die or kill them, that's Pashut, the world's gonna say something. But in the subtleties of triage in an emergency room, I would say, based on this analysis, Daiti, right, and this is the thing that's hotly debated, since Mikar Adin, we should not really be treating a murderer. Should not be doing it. It's us there. And the only reason we're doing it is because of this secondary Salkanas of Qal Yisrael. One could make the argument, perhaps, that if you could do it in a subtle manner, that the triage, you could, like Zaka and like Tzawar, favor the victim over the killer. That's something that's food for thought. It's something that is, uh, I would say, the ultimate passion in the issue. Right, if they see that all the time that happens. Uh, you should know, like, for example, a lot of people, even in a non-halachic basis, feel the same way. In other words, like the Boston Marathon after that. I read some interesting articles about the emergency room that took in one of those brothers, right? One of the brothers died, and the other one was brought into the emergency room. A lot of people walked away. They didn't want to treat him. They were, like, treating all these victims. And they just, you know... So there's a certain sympathy in the triage setting to take care of the victim as even... You know, it's not looked at as the same way if you just you know have a single person that you're ignoring or killing, right? That, that is more of an, a reaction. But in terms of triage, especially, you know, if it's the guy has like a, a torn toenail versus a guy who's bleeding out, that's not subtle. So that would be something noticeable. But a lot of the triage decisions are more subtle than that. And I'm just, I'm not poskening this, Shaila. I'm just saying that I could see why many of the poskim came out that way, based on uh, this type of analysis, where Mi'ikar there is no mitzvah, in fact, there's an isr, according to Rav Zilberstein, to treat murderers. It's actually an isr. Okay, lo alena. we should never, there should always just be a hypothetical discussion, and not lemaisa. Thank you very much.
0: Just keep uh... on the job.